Sunday's Amazing Relationship. And this sermon came from Romans chapter 7. So Romans 7 is uh, Paul the Apostle writing, and it's a difficult chapter to understand if you read it. The words are very unusual. But after today's sermon, you'll be able to study that chapter any time in your life and know exactly what it's all about. And we're not going to read the chapter. I'm only going to read one verse from it. But the whole sermon is that entire chapter, okay? So Romans 7, Paul is giving the analogy of marriage when it comes to salvation. And Paul is saying, whenever you were born on this planet Earth, the minute you came out of your mama and you were breathing oxygen, you are automatically married to the law or to the morality of God, the right and wrong of what God says. You are automatically judged by what is right and wrong based on God's laws, okay? And the Mosaic law is called the Mosaic law because it was given to Moses. Very good. And it was how many commandments? and it got turned into 613 and then 2200 and there were judicial laws and ceremonial laws and all these kind of things and so uh, the Mosaic law was given to Moses and it's in um, Exodus and it's in Deuteronomy and it's all the ways that you can be perfect if you want to be perfect then you have to do all those things Okay, 613 laws, 2200 fence laws on and on it goes so he gives this analogy and says when you're born you're married to the law but when you're born again you're married to Jesus. And you can pick which one you want to be married to. So Romans 7.4 says, you've undergone death to the law through the crucified body of Christ, leaving you free to marry Him who was raised from the dead in order to bear fruit from God. Um, if you're married to the law, the law is an impotent spouse. You cannot produce fruit. Nothing good comes out of it. If you're married to Jesus, you can produce the fruit of the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22 fruit of this is not the fruit of John Paul, it's the fruit of the Spirit. It does not come from me, it comes from me being in a relationship with him. We're all on the same page, right? Yeah. So we're going to talk about which husband you want to be married to today, okay? Which spouse you want. So point number one, if you want to be married to the law, here's what happens. The law produces a sinful relationship. It produces a sinful relationship. The only way you know right from wrong is by God's morals. And the fact that you can't keep them all, you are automatically a sinner based on God's morals. And here's what happens is, People turn the Ten Commandments and anything else they find in the Bible into all these rules and regulations, and they tell you, you have to climb up this ladder to be able to get to God. The more you do what God says, the closer you are to Him. If you don't steal, well, you're, you, you've, you've climbed up the ladder. If you don't commit adultery, that's another one. If you don't murder, on and on you go. I wore my slippery shoes today by accident, so just everybody pray for me. And so the prayer partner's down in the front, so we're okay. And so, and so here's the problem that happens is, though, is we don't realize... Well, you know, I didn't lie today, right? But I thought something I shouldn't have thought, and we're back down. Well, I didn't murder anybody, and so we've climbed up too. But then, we, you know what? We, we have unforgiveness in our heart, and we go back down. And we think that the more we climb, and then we have this thought. Well, today, I promise I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to be good. I'm going to be good. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Right? And then we fail once again. And we live our life trying to climb a ladder to get to God. I mean, does anyone else know what it feels like to think, okay, I promise I'm not going to have that thought anymore. I promise I'm not going to give in to that addiction. I promise I'm not going to act that way. I'm going to start being good. And then sure enough, we take three steps up and we take five steps back. And we live our life trying to say, okay, if I can do this or do that or do right or don't do wrong, then I'm going to get closer to God. But the latter is never going to get us closer to God because here's why. No matter how hard you try, you're always going to fail at being perfect. Because the Bible says if you disobey one commandment, you've disobeyed them all. So I have a question for you. How many of you in here have failed at at least one of just the Ten Commandments? I'm not talking about the 613, just the Ten. Okay, so here's, now when you raised your hand just now, I'm sure some of you had this thought. Well, I haven't murdered. 
Okay, I might have lied, but I haven't murdered. It doesn't matter. It's all part of the same thing. You're either perfect or you're imperfect, right? Perfect or imperfect. In fact, all of you are liars. I mean, you're just plain old lying. If I stood at the back of church as you left today, and I got one of those scales where you can see how much people weigh, and I said, pull out your driver's license, you know, on your way out, and I want to check what you wrote down as your weight on your driver's license, and then I'm going to weigh you on the... Every one of you are liars. Mark's driver's license says he's six foot one. I mean, come on. <laughs> We're all liars. Okay, so how do we handle this? Uh, how do we handle the law? Let me give you an analogy to help you. There was a, a guy who was studying to be a pastor. He was taking seminary courses, Bible college classes, and he was taking an ethics class. Okay, ethics is what teaches you right from wrong. Okay, as a pastor, how do I handle this? This is right, this is wrong. They took a test. And at the end of the test, the professor said, okay, instead of y'all turning it in, I'm going to call out the answers to the test, and you're going to mark your test up, and you're going to grade it. And so everybody thought, okay, that's cool. Well, this guy that was studying to be a pastor, he had this thought. He said, listen, I know what he's doing. It's an ethics course. So he's going to see how well we grade ourselves. I mean, how detailed we are, how many points we take away. And when he sees that we did a good job of being honest about our grade, he'll give us extra points. But the people in here who are just kind of fly by and they give themselves a good grade, he's going to take off points. So this guy, man, as the professor called out the answers, he was so meticulous, so detailed, he took off a half a point for punctuation and his spelling wasn't right and his handwriting wasn't good. I mean, he just, just gave himself the worst grade possible. And then the professor said, okay, uh, class is over. Y'all can throw your papers away and go home. He said, throw, throw your papers away. You need, to, you need to know what grade we got. The professor says, no, 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 I don't. Just throw them away, go on home, class is over. He said, listen, you don't understand. How are you going to figure out our grade if we don't turn our papers in? The professor stood up from his desk. He says, listen, everybody, today's test is like all tests in life. It wasn't for me to see how good you're doing. It wasn't for your fellow classmates to see how good you're doing. Today's test, like all tests in life, were for you to judge how well you're doing. The law is not a test for God to see how good we're doing because He knows no matter how hard we try, we're going to fail. The law is not a test for you to put yourself above others. Well, I haven't done what they did. I didn't do what, that, what happened to them. I'm not that bad of a person. The law is not a test for your fellow believers to see how well you're doing. The law is a test for you to see how well you're doing. And if you don't know this or not, this 613 test, question test, you've failed it every single day that you've been alive. Whether you think you took the test or not, you've been taking the test. Now here's the, 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 the little kicker that the professor didn't tell the class till afterwards. He said, my son actually took this test. And he got a perfect score on all 613 questions. And if you take the test, if you miss even one, you fail it. So if you will be in relationship with my son, if you will have a covenant with him, then I will give you his perfect grade. My question today is, do you want your grade on the test? Or do you want his grade on the test? The choice is totally yours. See, the law can tell us what our sin is. But only free grace can help us overcome the sin in our life. If we could overcome sin on our own, we wouldn't need Jesus. It's so funny. We all have this mindset, well, I need Jesus to get saved. 
But after that, <laughs> after that, I can get to God on my own. As long as He saves me, after that, I can do good on my own. I can grow on my own. I can change on my own. That is totally and completely unbiblical. Totally and completely unbiblical. In fact, in fact, um, I was thinking about um, that guy that stole all of our iPads from us and our music equipment. I told you, super nice guy. I mean, we were friends, so he's a nice guy. He just stole stuff from us every single day that he was at church. But anyway, and he pawned it and all, and, you know, it's just sad. Anyway, so he's in jail, and there was, he had a long line of thieving. I mean, there was just for 10 years he's been thieving. And I thought about how I'm going to help him when he gets out of jail. You know what I thought about? Tell me if this is a good idea. When he gets out of jail, you know, he just steals all the time. I thought about, I'm going to read to him in the Bible where it says, Thou shalt not steal. And after I tell him that it's wrong, just like that, he's going to stop stealing. Is that going to work? <laughs> Nate thinks it'll work. Is that going to work? No. Let me ask you this. Is that your testimony in any area of your life? In any area of your life was your testimony. Well, after I found out it was wrong to have unforgiveness, that's when I stopped having unforgiveness. After somebody preached to me and told me this is the right way to do it, well, after that, everything just changed in my life. No, no, here's your testimony is this. The more I discover how good God is, the more I receive this free gift of grace and empowerment in my life, the more I realize that He gave His life for me, the more I discover how much He wants to be in a relationship with me, I look back and naturally, or supernaturally, things just start to change in my life. The more I'm intimate with Jesus, the more He changes my heart. Isn't that what our testimony is? Okay, so um, there was a guy named Zacchaeus in the New Testament. He was a tax collector. Um, he was a very bad guy, uh, full of sin, just doing all kind of awful things. And he heard Jesus was coming to town one day. And so it says in Luke 19, 3, Zacchaeus could not see Jesus because of the crowd, for he was short in stature. So here's what he did. He climbed up a tree to try to get close to God. Once again, he had put himself above everybody else. Once again, he had made a way where he was in charge. See, the ladder, it represents our own strength. The ladder represents um, uh, self-help books from Walmart and Barnes & Nobles. The, the ladder represents um, a sermon without any scripture. The ladder represents good advice from your teachers. The ladder represents um, your parents telling you what you should and should not do. The ladder represents all of the natural wisdom, natural strength and effort that we can possibly come up with. That's what the ladder represents. And Zacchaeus thought, okay, you know what? I'm going to get to God. I'm going to climb up the ladder. It's so interesting. Uh, Jesus came walking by. He bypassed all the pastors, bypassed all the worship leaders, bypassed all the Sunday school teachers, bypassed all the elders in church, and he went to the number one sinner in the entire group. This shows the heart of our God. He went to the number one sinner, and he knew his name. And he went to Zacchaeus, and he didn't say, Zacchaeus, listen, man. I got a list of all the things you've been doing wrong over the past 25 years. Where would you like me to start with that list? In verse 5, Jesus looked at Zacchaeus and said, Listen, if you will come down off your ladder, if you will stop trying in your own efforts, if you will stop trying to change yourself, trying to be good, trying to force yourself to do the right thing, if you will stop working in your own strength and come down, I'll change your life. But as long as you're up on that ladder, there's nothing I can do. As long as you're up in that tree, in your own efforts, putting yourself above everybody else, there's nothing I can do for you. But I'm telling you, if you will come down, 
I'm not going to read you all the things you've done wrong. If you come down, I just want to spend time with you. I just want to sit down and chat, and I want to encourage you. I want to tell you how much I love you. Verse 6, Zacchaeus hurried down and welcomed Jesus with joy. Now from verse 6 to verse 8, something miraculous happens. Miraculous. Verse 6 to verse 8. One verse away. And in verse 8, Zacchaeus told the Lord, I'm going to give everything I have to the poor. If I've cheated anybody, I'll give them back four times as much. And Jesus said, today, today, not only is your life changed, but Zacchaeus, you came down from your tree and you brought me into your home. You brought me into your family. Your entire family's life is going to be changed forever. Listen, I want you to think about this. Jesus was saying this, Zacchaeus, not only is your life changed on earth, but your whole family is going to spend all of eternity together. All of eternity. All because you just brought me into your home. You didn't bring the law. You didn't bring all the rights and wrongs. You do this right. You do this wrong. I'll be happy. You just brought me a relationship with me into the life of the people that you love. Listen, no matter how high we climb, our ladders can only take us so far. They can only take us so far. Let me tell you, you know, whenever we tell people, well, if you stop being gay, then you can come to God. If you'll stop doing drugs, you can come to God. Uh, if you'll stop sleeping around, you can come to God. Um, if you'll pray like this, do like this, worship like this, then you can come to God. Whenever we preach that, when that is our sermons in life, we have reduced Christianity to every single other world religion. Listen, real close, this will change your life. Um, the world classifies Christianity as a religion. It's not a religion. Because everything else in the world, Buddhist, Islam, I mean, all of it, it says this, if you do this, you get to nirvana or God or heaven. If you'll act like this, you'll get to God. If you take these steps, then God will do this. And on and on, that's what, that's, what, that's what every religion says. Why choose Christianity if that's what we have to do? Christianity is not about something you have to do. Christianity is about something you have to receive. Christianity is not about you doing. Christianity is about what He did. The ladder isn't for us to get to God. The ladder was for God to send Jesus to us. Isn't that amazing? I mean, every other religion, you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to do this, you got to do that, and then maybe God will spend time with you. Then maybe he'll do some great things in your life. All Christianity is this. You have to receive. Right where you're at. Just receive it. Just receive it. Just receive his love, receive his mercy, receive his goodness, and that's what will change the hearts of people. Man, this is a lot better sermon than y'all are saying right now. Y'all should have already had like 18 amens in this. Maybe the second sermon is like the sermon. I don't know. Anyway. Let me, okay, this. You know what? I'm going to say something that's going to offend you because y'all aren't amen me, so this is going to offend you, okay? But when something offends you, you just say, God, forgive me, and you move on, okay? The reason that a lot of men... Uh, don't give their life to Christ as quickly as women. And don't get offended. Remember, see that banner right there? Right there that says, we forgive? Yeah. It's because um, when men, they, they fall in love with a woman, they want to marry her. But after they marry her, sometimes the woman can turn into the law. <laughs> and they can live their life on, well, you buttered the toast, but you buttered it on the wrong side. <laughs> you vacuumed the house, but you forgot to do the bathroom. And the husband thinks, and of course it's vice versa, both sides, but I see, I see it a lot like this, I see it a lot. Women serve God, love Jesus, and the husband's just thinking, here's what the husband thinks, why would I want to give my life to Christ? I'm already living with the law. 
She's already telling me what I'm doing is right and wrong, right and wrong, failure, success. You failed it. You picked up the kids, but you picked them up two minutes late. You know, you put little Johnny's clothes on, but you put them on backwards. I mean, come on. <laughs> and so the husband thinks, well, why do, I, I, why do I want to surrender my life to somebody else? I'm already being, well, isn't God the same way? No, God's not that way. God wants a loving relationship with you. He doesn't want to tell you you're right, you're wrong, you're right, you're wrong. And listen, standards are okay. Guidelines in relationships, we need standards. Every position in church, in ministry, in school, in your job has standards, and that's all great. But you don't have to do that to get to God. In fact, when people have problems, they don't, they don't go to the standard that's required of them. The answer should be, you need to spend some time with Jesus. Let him change you. Receive some grace. Okay, number two, ready? Great, y'all didn't like that point, did you? I won't say that in the second service. Point two is this. Grace produces an amazing relationship. Grace produces an amazing relationship. Now, I'm going to teach you some theology, okay? We're going to study the Bible. You ready? Say, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Exodus 34, 29 through 35. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments, he didn't know it, but his face was shining with lights, with beams. Okay, look, look at me for a minute. Don't look at the Scripture. Let me tell you. Look at me. Um, when Moses went up to, the, to get the Ten Commandments, him and God had a relationship. Moses fell in love. Okay, God was already in love. Moses fell in love. You ever heard the phrase, um, oh, she's just glowing. She is glowing and she's pregnant. But you say that because she's got a seed inside of her. A birth is going to take place. Uh, when someone's in love, you say, oh, your face is just radiating. You are just shining. You know, you're in love. So Moses, uh, Moses was in love with God. They had a face-to-face -face relationship, okay? God hands in the Ten Commandments. Moses comes down the mountain. And Moses didn't know it. His face was shining with supernatural light. To where the Israelites could not even look at the Ten Commandments. They couldn't even see what Moses had in his hand because his face was so bright. So he put a veil over his face. A veil is a piece of cloth. Uh, like when you get married, sometimes there's a veil. Uh, curtains can be a veil. Like if there's lights coming in the room, you have a veil or curtains that cover it up. Okay? So a veil. And it says that Moses had to put the veil over his face because he didn't know that there were beams of light. So Moses put a veil on his face. When Moses went before the Lord... He took the veil off because he wanted to see God face to face. Intimacy. Everybody say intimacy. But when Moses went before the Lord to speak with him, he took the veil off. The Israelites saw the face of Moses and how it shone. And Moses put the veil on his face again until he went to go speak with God. Okay? Um, I want to show you some pictures of, of the temple. So after God establishes a civilized society with the Israelites... He says, okay, I want to come into your presence, but you're imperfect, so I need you to build me a place that is perfect. So God had specific rules, regulations, do this, do that, do this, and it was a temple. And if you see the, the picture of the temple here, you could go into the entrance, see the vestibule and the holy place, but when God came to planet Earth before Jesus, when God came to planet Earth before the death and resurrection of Jesus, God would dwell in a location, not in a person, but in a location. The location was the Holy of Holies. You see the Holy of Holies up there. It would be like in this building, the stage here would be where God would dwell. And there was a huge veil so that you could not see God. Because if you saw God, you'd die. Because you're imperfect and he's perfect. And the very scientific definition of perfection can't be around imperfection. You understand that? So there was a big veil. Everybody say veil. There was a veil here. You see the veil? And so God was on one side. There's another picture of it right there. So you could go into the temple, but there was a veil. Okay. When Jesus died on the cross and the sacrifice God found to be worthy and perfect and pure, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, immediately went into the lives of believers, but something in the natural took place in the temple. This is 1,800 years after the Ten Commandments. 
Matthew 27, 51, Jesus released his spirit. And at that moment, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. People were like this. Ah, 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 ah. You know, Indiana Jones in the Ark of the Covenant? Just like that. That's exactly what it was like. Anyway, and so, oh, I can't see, I can't see. Because God would dwell in between the cherubim on the, of the, of the um, Ark of the Covenant in the holy, holy place. And the veil ripped and people were scared. And they looked and they, looked, and they thought, oh, God's not there. Where's God? And just like that, the Holy Spirit went into the lives of imperfect people who had a relationship with the perfect son. Okay, so we're on the same page. Okay. I want to give you an analogy. You know me. I love to do things so that you never forget a sermon. Right? Everybody understands. I love to do things so you never forget a sermon. Okay. Um, I want to show you what it's like to be married to Jesus. Okay? Cue the music. <laughs> love and marriage, love and marriage Go together like a horse and carriage This I've been really Okay, so turn around so everybody can see the back. So this is what I want to marry. I want to marry this, right? But unfortunately, you can hold it up like that. That's how it's supposed to Okay, now turn around. <laughs> Okay, unfortunately, that's what I'm looking at right now, okay? Let me tell you what the law is like. The law is a horrible spouse. The law is always telling you you're right, you're wrong. This isn't good. You failed there, you failed there, okay? There's nothing wrong with the law. There's something wrong with us. You understand that? The law is perfect. Anything that comes from God is perfect. Everybody understand perfection? Say, God is perfect. Okay, so I want to read you a scripture, okay? 2 Corinthians 3, this is New Testament, 15 through 18, and it's talking to the church of Corinth. This very day... Their minds and their hearts are covered by the same veil that Moses put over his face when the law was read. You do hear what I'm reading, right? Okay. The veil is only removed, I'll do it, when a person turns in repentance to the Lord and is joined to Christ. So now all of us with unveiled face. Okay. All of us with unveiled face are constantly being transformed into his very image from one degree of glory to another degree of glory. For this comes from who? The, who is the? Okay. Does it say that we can transform ourselves? Does it say that when the law is in front of us that that's what changes us? Does this change us? Okay, it can tell you what you're doing wrong, but it can't change you. What changes you? A relationship with Jesus. But here's how you get a relationship with Jesus. You have to remove the law. You cannot think, well, I'm going to live my life right and wrong, right and wrong, and then I'm going to grow and change to God. No, no, that's being married to the law. Some of y'all have been dating Jesus for years. You've heard all about him. You hear everything that's right, everything that's wrong. You know how the morals and all that. But you have not seen the face of God in your life. See, there's no intimacy with the veil. You understand? There's no intimacy at all. There's no kissing. There's no affection. There's no talking face to face. You have to remove the law. Okay, um, let me, I'm going to hold your hand. And um, I'm going to give you an option between two men. Okay, you can choose. It's, it's like, um, what's that old school, that old, uh, the dating, the bachelor show? No, that was, that's one man. What's the, what's the? Yeah, were they like bachelor one, bachelor two? Okay, okay, okay. So here's bachelor one. Okay, bachelor one is this. Um, 
I love you and I want to marry you. Um, and the Bible says that love is um, not rude. So I'm not going to be rude to you. Um, I want to be rude to you, but I'm not going to. Um, the Bible says that I can't beat you or hit you. Uh, the Bible says I can't commit adultery. Uh, the Bible says I cannot um, lie or steal. Now, I think about doing all those things, but I'm not going to because that would be wrong. Uh, the Bible says I need to be patient with you. I don't want to be patient with you at all, um, but, I'm, but, I'm, yeah. but I'm going to be because the Bible says that that's what I need to do. Okay? That's, that's, that's bachelor number one. Okay, here's bachelor number two. Whenever you sing, it's more beautiful than the sunrise. Whenever you laugh, it fills my heart with joy. When you walk into a room, I can't see anybody else. Because you're the most beautiful, enthusiastic, hardworking, kind woman I've ever met. You'll never have to worry about me ever leaving you. I will never leave you nor forsake you because I am madly in love with you. I would give my life to save your life. And so I want to spend all of eternity with you. Which bachelor do you think she wants? Okay, listen. Jesus is saying this to you. When you sing to me, it's more beautiful than the sunrise. When you laugh, it fills me with more joy than when I created the galaxies. You never have to worry about me ever leaving you or forsaking you because I did give you my life so I could spend all of eternity with you. When you're faithless, I will be faithful because I am madly and passionately in love with you. Now, who do you want to marry? <laughs> do you want to marry the law or do you want to marry Jesus? Listen, Jesus wants to marry you and live happily ever after. Amen. Okay, you did good. Yeah. Let's get it on. Okay. I want to give you two more analogies and I'll let you go. 4,000 years ago, actually between, uh, between 3,800 and 4,000 years ago, God appears to the Israelites after He delivers them, after He sets them free, after He gives them gold and jewelry. And He says, listen, I want to have a covenant relationship with you. Okay? Let me explain to you covenant relationship. This is so important. A covenant relationship is a relationship between any two parties, and each party has a part. Okay? Um, teenager kids have covenants with pinky swearing. Y'all still pinky swear? I mean, when you were kids, you did. So that's a covenant. Um, a covenant between you and the mortgage company. You sign your name. I'm going to pay this bill. I'm going to borrow this money. That's a covenant. You understand covenant? The highest covenant between any two human beings is the covenant of marriage, which is why God always likens marriage to salvation. The highest covenant in the universe is the covenant between God and mankind through Jesus Christ. So everyone understands covenant. Friends have covenants. David and Jonathan in the Bible were best friends. Here was their covenant. Um, I want you to be blessed. No, I want you to be blessed. No, you're a great friend. No, you're a great friend. I want to believe the best in you. No, I'm going to believe the best in you. What's mine is yours. No, what's mine is yours. They were the best friends and that was their covenant. Everybody say covenant. covenant. So God comes to the Israelites and says, I want a covenant with you. They say, well, what's, what's it going to be like? God said, well, I'll be your God. And you'll be my people. They said, that sounds good. What are the parts of the covenant? Well, God said, listen, my covenant is I will always love you 
I will provide for you. I'll protect you. I will deliver you from your enemies. I'll heal you. I'll bring fruit into your life. I'll give you wisdom when you want it, joy when you ask, peace when you're sleeping at night. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'll fight your battles. I'll always be on your side. I will be your God, and you'll be my people. And they said, oh, that sounds good. What's our part? Now listen real close. And God said, here's your part. There's 10 commandments, and then we're going to have 613, and then about 2,200 fence laws. And um, I need you to do everything just right. I need you to do everything I say to perfection because the only way you can get to a perfect relationship is if you are perfect yourself. So I need you to do everything right. In fact, I'm going to write books on it. In fact, there's one chapter in one book that if you get a scab, it tells you what you need to do. I mean, you got to be perfect. And every Israelite said this. Okay, let's do it. Do you know before Moses even got down from the mountain, they had already broken their covenant? Before, he even, before his foot hit the bottom of the mountain, all two million of them had already failed. So they thought the thing me and you think, well, we'll try better tomorrow. And then tomorrow comes, and they fail again. They think, well, listen, Tuesday's our day, because we're really going to pray hard, and we're really going to believe, and we're going to quote things, and we're going to read all these self-help books, and we're going to have positive thinking, and we're going to say, I can do it, I can do it. And then Tuesday came along, and they failed even worse. And then Wednesday, and then Thursday, for 1,800 years, that's how they live. And finally, after 1,800 years, they say, God, we cannot do it. And God said, I've been waiting 1,800 years for somebody to tell me that, because I have a plan. And so 2,000 years ago, a new covenant was established. And about 16 years ago or so, God comes to me and he says, John Paul, I want to have a covenant relationship with you. I said, cool, tell me about it. God said, well, I'll be your God and you will be my child. I said, that sounds good. What are the two parts? God said, well, here's my part. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will give you wisdom, knowledge, peace, joy. I'll provide for you. I'll make you a success. I'll forgive you when you sin. I will always believe the best in you. I will encourage you. I will heal you. I'll bring you fruit in life. I will fight your battles, deliver you from your enemies. I will be your God and you will be my child. And I said, oh, that sounds great. What's my part? And God said, well, Jesus, son, come here for a minute. Son, I really want to have a relationship with John Paul. I want to adopt more children into my family. But John Paul's not perfect. So I need you to do something for me. I need you to get off of your throne where you are worshipped and adored. I need you to leave all of these millions of angels that serve you hand and foot. I need you to step down from the universe into a place called earth. And I need you to live a perfect life. Life. I mean, you have to do everything perfectly, exactly right. You dot every I, cross every T. You cannot even have one bad thought. But son, because John Paul's imperfect, and the law says the wages of sin or the results of sin is death, I don't need you to just live for John Paul. I need you to die for John And it's going to be a horrible death. 
You're going to be spit upon, beaten with fists, beaten with clubs. You're going to be mocked and ridiculed. You're going to be humiliated for everyone to see. They're going to shove a crown of thorns in your head, a spear in your side. They're going to nail your hands and feet to a cross. They're going to call you names and make fun of you. They're going to treat you worse than a slaughtered lamb. And Jesus looked at God and said, I'll do it. And then God turns to me and says, John Paul, here's your part. All you have to do is believe that what he did was enough. And if you will simply receive a relationship with him, I will be your God and you will be my child. Amen. Now here's my question. Are you married to Jesus today? Because some of you, you might forget the date that you were married, but you don't forget the fact that somebody moved in. You know? Why not solidify that today? My third point is just a one-minute point. Third point is this. Amazing relationship produces PDA. What does PDA stand for? Public displays of affection. When you're in love, and you post it on Facebook. I know y'all do. Y'all can be in love with a restaurant and you post that on Facebook. When you're in love, you don't mind the whole world knowing. So I'm going to give you an analogy. Uh, salvation is going to be marriage. And this wedding band is going to be baptism in water. Okay? When someone gets married, the next thing that happens is they put this ring on their finger. The ring does not marry them. The ring lets the whole world know they're in love. They're taken. They share life with somebody. Okay? You don't put the ring on years before and then get married. You put the ring on after you get married. Now, if I took this ring and I put it on one of my children, it's not going to marry them. It doesn't marry you. It represents that you are married. Some of you may have been baptized when you were children. And then later on in life, you give your life to the Lord. I suggest and encourage you, because today is our second baptism of the year, I encourage you to sign up and put the ring back on your finger. Let the world know, I'm taken. You know, every single New Testament believer got baptized in water after they got saved, except for the thief on the cross. Right? That's what my tattoo represents. All he didn't say a special prayer. He didn't come. All he said was, remember me. And Jesus looked at his heart. He knew him. And he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. But I guarantee you, if we could listen real close, 2,000 so years ago, we would hear that thief on the cross say, oh, soldiers, soldiers, I just got saved. If you will let me down off this cross so I can get water baptized, I promise I'll come right back, you know. He didn't, of course, but if he could have, he would have. So I want to encourage you today, if you're madly in love with Jesus, let the whole world see it.